Well, hello, hello, dear people of the internet. I am your humble host, just cutting in before we dive fully into this show today to say that this is an interview that I actually recorded back at the beginning of March, if you can believe it. And it wasn't my intention to hang on to it for so long at first, but as current events started to swallow up all the air in the proverbial podcasting room, it just got pushed further and further back. But that said, I also realized just how far ahead of the film's release we actually recorded this. I think Farzan mentions a June date, and even that didn't happen. It got pushed back another month, and it looks like the film actually released yesterday, July 7th. And I've been keeping an eye on it, so when I saw that it did actually launch, I decided that that would be the best time to put this out as well. We want to promote this film. Clearly, that's why I'm talking to today's awesome guests. An hour with each one separately, actually, which is a unique change of pace for us. Or a half hour with each one, if you're only hearing the free first hour version of the show. But for a semi-mystical, spiritual topic like this, it's also so fitting that a conversation about a film called The Medicine, recorded in early March actually kind of becomes medicine in a certain way, as I, for one, would cherish the opportunity to drop into a conversation that hasn't been tainted by the bulk of 2020. I think I would really enjoy that. Would some of the conversation have changed if it was recorded today? I'm sure it would have. Obviously, my own ayahuasca pilgrimage that I couldn't shut up about isn't actually happening, for one. But either way, I think it's great that it worked out like this. It would just be weird to not at least inform you of that context. We are going to have to relearn how to have conversations about other things, and bringing this old one to life now is maybe something we could consider good training wheels. So sink in. It is a fun one. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Fireside Chats. Here we go, higher side chatters from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and it seems that in these troubled times, for a lot of us, the magic of life has lost its luster. The rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide are all rising to alarming levels. The human connection has been replaced with screen obsession. And the almighty paper chase has driven our behavior for far too long and has left far too many out in the cold. What do we want out of life? Why are we here? And how can we make this whole thing better are questions that seem to get lost in the wake of bland, disingenuous election cycles, cutthroat capitalism, and the latest media panics. Well, it seems that more people are realizing the cure for our sick society might lie in getting back to our roots, in more ways than one, with one of the oldest and most powerful traditions of Amazonian shamanism we know of, the ancient entheogenic plant medicine, ayahuasca. It's an indigenous tradition going back over 4,000 years, which combines a monoamine oxidase-inhibiting vine with dimethyltryptamine-rich plants mixed into a full-spectrum healing brew that facilitates a life-changing deep dive into one's mind, body, and soul. 
And wouldn't you know it, this potent brew is the subject of a great new documentary that we're honing in on today called The Medicine, which chronicles the pilgrimage of actress Anna Lynn McCord and former NFL safety Carrie Rhodes as they both seek out various forms of healing and insight from an authentically administered ayahuasca retreat. First, we're talking with Carrie about his experiences with The Medicine, and later we'll be talking with the film's director and producer, Farzan Tusi. So let's get into it. A provocative peek into the plant medicine with an ex-NFL ayahuasca advocate brave enough to take the journey. Carry my good man. Welcome to the higher side. <laughs> Greg, I appreciate that. That was very eloquently said. And the way you said some of that stuff, I don't even know it, but I appreciated it. It was really <laughs> great. <laughs> really great. Appreciate that. I try. I try. And <laughs> this is a real treat, man. As someone who's actually got a trip to Peru booked this summer to take the journey myself. Nice. I hear a lot of people talk about these retreats, but I had not yet seen a film that really walked people through what it's like. Yeah. And to get us started here, tell the people a little bit about maybe your NFL career, because playing such a taxing sport for the majority of your life and all the concussions, that has been a major catalyst in seeking out ayahuasca, hasn't it? Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, I played nine years professionally. I played six years with the New York Jets and three years with Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals. And yeah, man, I mean, the journey of living in a world where it's such a toxic masculine world in the sport we call football, the NFL. I mean, it was hard, man. I mean, you had to live up to a certain just you had to live up to this thing that really wasn't ultimately who you are and ultimately who you want to be as a person, speaking of myself specifically. So I had to kind of trade the waters pretty softly and really exist in a world where I was suppressing so much of who I really wanted to be and ultimately be like, I'm ultimately this creative and caring and empathetic individual in person that had to be buried for so long because of my exterior having to be such a tough one in the world that I played in in the NFL. So to kind of navigate those waters for nine years and really suppress so much of who I ultimately wanted to be and ultimately who I am and ultimately who I seeked and discovered through my journey of getting back to my roots and my ancestors and drinking this ayahuasca and this jahe brew to kind of get back to that person. I mean, it was hard, man, because I mean, we've been told I mean, I played football since I was nine. So as a little kid, I've been taught to win at all costs, to not show emotion. I mean, it doesn't hurt. It's just a boo-boo. It's just, it's just a scratch. Mm. It's just a broken bone. It's not that big a deal, right? Like in that world, like you can't dwell on the feelings, the emotional part of it. You have to kind of just get over it and, and fight and, <laughs> and be this hard, this masculine male for so long. And so... To have to get out of that and shake that once that career that career ended, to shake that off and then try to exist in the world now where all of those things that you are deep down should be on the exterior now beyond just being inside. That should be who you live and who you should be. And so to get back to that, man, it was just, it was a really difficult time for me. Mm. Interesting, man. Yes, there are a lot of people out there that are hypnotized by the glitz and the glamour. There are so many people yearning for success and stardom. Yeah. We want what we don't have and all that. Yeah. And I'm sure it was a fun ride, the girls, the money. But I guess having come out the other side of it, is there maybe some ugliness in it that we don't see through the TV screens? Is the journey maybe 
overhyped to some extent? What do you think looking back now? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I will never, and I say this a lot, but the time that I did have and I share in the NFL, I talk about the negative stuff a lot because of just the journey that I'm on now, the path that I'm on. But to be honest, I mean, I did enjoy playing the game and I had some really good times when I did it. Like you said, the money, the the access to things. I mean, I was a 21-year-old kid in New York City. I was a captain of the New York City team. Like I had, I mean, I could do a lot. Like I had a lot of fun. And so I definitely enjoyed some of those times. But when you look back on it, man, and you and you start to become a man and you start to understand that that's part of your life. That's not who you are. And I think that's the journey, right? Like you, you get caught up in that lifestyle. You get caught up in the ways of everything being done for you. And it's really not being done for you. It's being done for this persona of who you are. It's not really you. You're getting all these treats and this access and this money. And like you said, the women and you have all that stuff at your beck and call, but that doesn't fulfill you. Mm. I mean, if you're a real deep thinking spiritual individual and that person is trapped inside and trying to get out imagine the torment the torture that you're going through on a daily basis to be this other person and excel in this world where you are excelling and you're getting these things that are given to you and gifted to you because of you being this titan of a athlete and of a person at that time but really not being your true authentic self imagine that internal battle that happens and so yes the good times are good but there were so many lows in there as well. I'm just trying to deal with deal with this battle of <laughs> internal struggle that you know you're not being your authentic true self. And that's the part of it. Like, are you selling yourself out? Are you selling your soul to be this individual, to be this person, this NFL guy? And that's the struggle. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of money in the game and it comes with attachments and, uh, you know, expectations to behave a certain way for sure. And talk to us about maybe the the negative side of the game or the physical toll it takes on the body that maybe got you to start looking at ayahuasca. I mean, how did you even hear about this as a possible solution for for such things? Yeah, that was the main reason. So I was actually introduced to the medicine through the director of the film, Farzan Tusi, who was a friend of mine before we jumped into the documentary. But he was telling me about it. And for me, I had never taken any foreign substance in my body. So the only thing that I had ever had to any degree of any kind of thing that was in my body was alcohol. So, I mean, I would have an occasional drink. But before then, I had never even fantasized about any kind of medicine or drug or whatever you want to call anything. I mean, I never had any of those desires. And so we were talking about it. I remember telling me for the first time, like, I did this. I did ayahuasca and it was great and it's made me a better person. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. Good for you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember seeing him and he did it again one time. And I remember sitting over and just the way that he was speaking and the way that he was talking about certain things for me, it was a little bit of a trigger as far as, oh, something's happening. Something's different about him. And it seems really, 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 really pleasant. I kind of saw that kind of shift with him happening. And then I remember him asking me again about it. And I was like, all right, he said this a couple of times. So let me at least do the courtesy of checking on it and seeing what it's about. And so I actually started to do my research. And after I did the research, one of the things that I saw that immediately struck a chord with me and immediately got my gears shifting and turning a little bit 
it was the regenerative property of the brain that it has. And so it's been with a lot of the research of that, it's been proven to have regenerative properties for the brain. And for me, being a football player and dealing with concussions and having, you know, the fear of CTE and head trauma and all that stuff be a big factor in my life. That was the thing that really got me looking at the medicine in a different light. And I mean, I didn't agree to do it right away, but that initial, oh, wow, that's different. That's something new. That's the part that kind of reeled me in. And so once I got those, once I got that itch, I started to dig more and more and deeper and deeper and see that it, it was known to cure depression and anxiety and all these things. And with me leaving the game and translating and going to my new career as an actor and having ups and downs that go with that, there was certainly some depression with me that was involved in my life. And so to have some of those things kind of seeing some of those things on the checklist and being able to kind of check those off and say, those are things that I would definitely want to address and try to remedy. That was the reason I kind of got involved. Mm. Very cool. And that shift you mentioned, it comes through in the film too, with both you and Anna Lynn, when you're interviewed before taking the brew versus after, I do think it's night and day. You can tell there's like maybe a, a more confidence in the way you speak about such a mysterious kind of thing. And maybe you guys both seem more centered, I would say. It's it's a hard thing to qualify, but if you see it, you can recognize it. And then I agree, that opens up your own mind to being like, yeah, what is this about? Maybe I need to get in on this thing. But we all have, uh, I think, things we could be better at. Nobody's perfect, and this medicine can heal a wide range of things. But I think most people raised in Western society, they put all their faith in big pharma and the marvels of medical science. And the idea that a psychedelic brew in the Amazon could help or even heal something as complex and serious as brain trauma or CTE more effectively than all these modern advancements. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow for some. It's crazy. But if you think of it this way, these indigenous tribes, I mean, 400 years ago were extracting this brew and knowing that it took these two particular plants to manifest this feeling that you feel, the feelings that you go through some of the visions and some of the stuff that you go through while you're on the ayahuasca journey. Imagine that, like Mm -hmm. that long ago, these people who were perceived as not smart or wild or these nature creatures out there just living off the earth, you wouldn't think that they would have the capacity to make this type of brew or make this type of drink to have these effects on anybody. But the fact that that's the case what do we not know and what do they know? Like just having those conversations, like the conversation starters that happen in that setting, it's just, you can't get with Big Pharma. You can't get anywhere else but there. So to actually go there and dive in the jungle and do things and try things that are different and try things that we as Westerners just don't have the information on, like why wouldn't you want that anyway? So when I speak to people about the medicine in general, it's like, we tried all the other things, so why not try this thing that's a natural thing and <laughs> and have all these stories of people that have gotten better and live better and live more from the earth and have these centered feelings that we all long and urge others to have. Like, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, well said. And it is kind of crazy because all the pills that the modern system makes are full of side effects. I mean, nothing's working 100%. Yeah. Some things people take for depression, cause depression. Yeah. Uh, it's just a it's a tangled web. And yet 
our culture has this look at the people in the Amazon, the indigenous tribes, as uncivilized right. or primitive or right. savage. And I think that's a lot of residue from the terrible things the empire has done to these people over you know, the span of human history. It's real easy to offload some of that guilt by saying, well, they're uh, they're just primitive people and we brought civilization through and steamrolled them and they had no value right. in what they were doing. But that's just so untrue. And I'm sure that even the idea of something I think about is just living like indigenous people lived for so long. I mean, I know the retreat is a, a little bit comfortable. Yeah. It looked comfortable, yeah. but um, it's got to be kind of cool also to just live closer to how our ancestors lived. Yeah, the retreat is definitely comfortable, but it's not your traditional five-star hotel or anything like that. I mean, your your room is <laughs> it's a cement block with a bed, one window. Like, I mean, you know, it's there are no amenities, okay? <laughs> so yeah. you're you're pretty close. And then I've done it in the actual rainforest as well. I've done ayahuasca. I've had a ceremony in in Nosara. We did the ceremony outside. It's full nature, and the place that we stayed in, I mean, it really was like the smallest place I've probably ever been in. I mean, I've done it, I guess, on a grander scale and a definitely more small scale. So I've experienced it kind of both ways. And I don't think that part matters. I think after you go through the ceremony, you just really want to just detach and kind of be in your thoughts and really just have a place to just lay your head. So you're not really worried about the grandioso moments and the places that you can be in, but you just kind of want to have a just a place to lay your head down, man, and be in your thoughts and really, really just kind of process what you've gone through. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No need to check Twitter. No, need no, no, to... no, no, no. Oh, no way. No way. Twitter has nothing to offer at that point. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And I know that in the documentary, you do mention at the end, like that you already went back before the, the film was totally over. And that yeah. seems to be a little different from Anna Lynn's experience. But yeah, I guess talk to us about the shaman that you worked with either in the film or some of the other ones you've worked with, how do they compare? What do you, what do you think about these people who are really like put on the path of being a healer from such a young age? Yeah. I've only worked with one shaman. That's my shaman from the film. That's Taito Juanito. And man, he's brilliant. He's great. He's the most loving person I've ever been around in my life. And it's crazy because you meet these individuals and, they're foreign to you, but they're so not foreign to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The familiarity that you feel, that I feel when I'm around him and when I'm around everybody else in that family, it just feels like home. And I think that's where we're ultimately trying to get back to as a society, as people. We're trying to get back home, right? And home for everybody. I mean, everybody in this world, it's love. And so if you feel the love from someone and you feel the love like I feel when I'm around Taita, Juanito and Carlos and all those guys over there, it's, it's a reminder to me that there's so much more out there in this world for us to find and to discover. And there's so many other different brothers and sisters that we have in the world that we can connect to if we just open our hearts and open our minds to that. And so that's what I feel when I'm with them. It's just this familiarity. It's this love. It's we're all in the same lane and we're all in the same lane for the betterment of mankind and not just ourselves. Like we're all wanting to spread the love to people and let them know that this is an invite for all of us to come in and, and kind of rediscover who we are. And so that's kind of where I live with it. 
and I know they do, and they do a great job of just making us all feel like we belong, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously when people talk about these journeys, there's so much emphasis on the brew itself. It is the star of the show, but yeah. the consultation seems really interesting. And <laughs> even just some yeah. of the, like the tobacco usage, and I've heard of other little smaller kind of helper plants being used as well. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, that's got to be pretty interesting. That was the most intense part for me. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> so I, you saw the film. So, yeah. So when I did the rapé, so the rapé is a tobacco that you, you use. It's kind of like an inhibitor. It opens your third eye and it makes you a little bit more receptive to the medicine. And like I said, for me, I had never taken anything. And so having the consultation and the rapé to kind of open my system up and open my third eye and really, really, really kind of clear all my blockages for me to go into the ceremony. Mm. It was mind blowing. I mean, I, I got blown. <laughs> I got blown with the rap pay and immediately I was floating. I wasn't here. Really? Okay. Like I was <laughs> like, I was literally like I was sitting outside and I could feel you're sitting in the middle of nature. You're sitting in the middle of the rainforest and these trees. And we become so blind to anything that's real because we're, on our iPhones, our computers, everything that has to do with social media and the neglect of human interaction and the interaction with the earth and the grass and the dirt and the trees and just with nature. So as soon as I got blown with the rap pay, I felt like I was born. I was just born with everything outside. I could feel the wind caressing me, like touching me, like making sure like I'm calm. It was almost like the wind was like, you're okay. You're good. You're calm. Just relax. You know, like I felt that kind of that vibe with the wind. And then I could see the trees and like, I could see it. Like we walk through days and days and days and days and don't see anything outside. Like, you know, it's one of those things where you walk outside and you, you can walk by the same spot 30 times and not notice something. And then that one time you notice it. Yeah. It's that. I saw ants on the ground. Like, how often do we see ants unless we're looking for them? <laughs> like you can see all these things around and just like, wow, like I'm open, open to whatever's about to happen. And so for me, that's kind of what it was. And I was such a control freak in my early in my early years. And even when I first got done with football, like I was just a control freak because I was able to control everything in my life. And it was needed at that time. And that's the battle that you have as an adult, because with football, I needed to control what I needed to control. And that helped me be the best version of myself as a football player. But as a human, to control everything, you don't have control anyway. So you're fighting this battle of trying to control something that you have no control of. And so once you kind of realize that and just let go and let things be, because things are going to happen the way they're going to happen anyway, when you get to that point, and that's kind of where I got to the point when I first did the ceremony and did the right pay, it was just that, like, carry relax, let go. You have no control. And so that's kind of what it was. Mm. So that's something I want to experience because I talk to people who maybe are more energetically attuned than I am. And they talk about consciousness permeating through all forms of life, yeah. through the trees, through the animals, mm -hmm. even as you say, like the wind, the dirt, things we definitely don't even consider alive. And it's like something that's there, but I guess 
Not only do we not sense it in waking consciousness, we're not really encouraged or taught much about it. Guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson don't even think consciousness is a thing. And these are the scientific people we put on the pedestal <laughs> to teach us about the world. And yeah. it's just, a, it's a curious thing, but that's awesome. And it, it's that feeling the intelligence or the consciousness of all things that is pretty intriguing to me. It really is. If you go outside and you just sit on the ground, right? You sit on the ground and actually ground yourself and earth yourself and really feel what the universe is giving to you, all the information that it has. You can go outside and it's so funny because I'm still relatively new to all the tree hugging and all that stuff. Like, I, I mean, I don't go outside and hug trees on an everyday basis, right? But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but there are moments when I'm like, when I do want to feel grounded. I mean, I live in LA where it's all about <laughs> what you do and what you're doing next and what you got next on the plate. Like, I mean, I'm an actor, so obviously I have to book work and I'm always worried about that. But there are times when I just need to ground myself and I can go outside and I can really go outside and feel the heartbeat of a tree and just listen to the information that is given us because they've been here for so long. And the fact that they're so deeply rooted in the ground and they've been here and they've gone through rainstorms and earthquakes and hurricanes and they've still been here like they're still here like all the stories that they have to tell if you just listen and go outside and pay them some respect you'll feel it too i mean it's so much information and so much knowledge and so much beauty in the world that we just we neglect and it's such a sad thing because we're so closed off as a society and once you start doing those exercises and just meditating and becoming one and just really getting back to the center of who we are as people then it's going to continue to be hard times and sad times like they are. Yes, yes. And what would you say to critics who are hearing this and they're like, well, I'm not surprised you felt the wind hug you and all this shit because you're putting <laughs> drugs in your body. You know, <laughs> what do you say to people who think that this isn't an authentic experience, that it's uh, illusionary or hallucinatory because you are altering your brain chemistry? I mean... It's something I think that you got to experience. It's like trying to explain the color green to a blind man, but yeah. try. I mean, what would you say to critics who, who think that this is all just drugs? Yeah, I mean, everything's a drug in the world, right? I mean, if you drink coffee, that's a drug. That's something you become dependent on or whatever the case may be, or you mm -hmm. like the feeling that coffee gives you. You like the, the feeling that TV gives you when you watch TV. You like the feeling that you hear when you hear certain music that you love. You like the feeling of a partner. You like the feeling of love. You like the feeling of all those things that you can feel. I mean, all those things can be considered a drug if you want it to be called that, right? And so I think with ayahuasca, which we don't call a drug for a reason, it's medicine because it is natural and it's from the earth. So it's something that's been here for years and years and years and years for us to experience, but we just haven't had the capacity or the want to do that. So for me, when I talk about what ayahuasca, what it means and like to try to break it down to somebody, it's just you have this need and this thirst to be better. You have this need and thirst of knowledge and wanting to be, wanting to experience more in your life, more than what we've been given as a society. Because let's be frank, we get given what we're given because that's all we want and that's all we really care about and really want to know. But there are guys and people like myself and like yourself and others who want to experience greater. And so why would you ever? want to talk bad about somebody or talk down about somebody who wants to experience more and not be stuck in in the world that everybody else seems to think 
is the best world and the world that we should be okay with living in. Like I want better. I always want better and I always strive for that. And so when I talk about the medicine, man, it's just about you can take this drink of life and feel certain things that, yes, sometimes there are going to be some imagery and some things that you may see that may be associated with something that people would consider a drug, but also it's what you feel after that because ayahuasca isn't the cure. It doesn't save you. And -hmm. I think that's the number one thing my shaman told me from the first time I sat and the reason why I really, really believed and feel wholeheartedly that it's the best thing for us all is because it's not the cure. It's a starter. It's a starter pack. (laughs) It's a starter pack for you to live the way that you should live as individuals. And it's a starter pack for us to be able to spread the word and spread the joy and spread the feeling of love to everyone and everyone involved. And I don't think most drugs really care about you going out and being a healer after this and helping to spread the word on how we should live as people and how we should care about each other and be empathetic to others and and not fight and not be so aggressive and be understanding and be these things. I don't think most drugs really, really associate with that. So I would say if you can look at it with an open heart and see it for that and see it for the reasons that we see it in, then you'll at least be open to the discussion of seeing where that can lead you and not being so dismissal of it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Cheers to that. And <laughs> it's tough. I mean, people can't really assess the authenticity of an experience they haven't had. So give it a shot, skeptics, and see what happens. See if you <laughs> still feel it. like that. All you need is a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And getting into the brew itself, anyone who's heard the Ayahuasca 101 stuff knows about the purge. And I'm yeah. definitely not excited about puking and <laughs> potentially shitting myself in front of a bunch of people, but yeah. you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I guess. And there you go. In the film, you describe <laughs> this as a pretty impactful part of the experience. Maybe something people worry too much about, but talk to us about the purge and maybe the deeper meaning of it. Yeah, the purge is exactly what you're alluding to. It's much more than that. I mean, it's in theory, when you purge, you're getting rid of the bad toxins in your body and you're also getting rid of the bad juju that we carry around with us. I mean, the bad attachments, the bad, all those things, right? We're getting rid of that stuff in the purge. That would be layman terms. We're getting rid of all the bad juju and the bad toxins that we have in our body, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going through an experience where you're looking for clarity and light and you're looking for all these things to be shown to you or to be at your disposal, you have to get rid of the bad stuff. So that's really what the purge kind of entails or depicts. In layman terms, that's kind of where it goes. And I think everybody can kind of follow that. But yeah, it's really just that. But for me, it was very impactful because, like I said, my first time doing it. And for me, when I told you, like I had to battle just letting go and losing control. And so even though I was ready to go and take that dive, when the first effects of the medicine started to kick in, I was like, whoa, shit, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> like the room, the room's a little, uh, closing in and spinning and you see like these colors and lights and you're like i am not in kansas anymore like you have that type of feeling but when i purged for the first time i remember purging in the bucket and when i purged in the bucket i saw something i saw a fetus in the bucket yeah i was like wow and of course scared but like what is that and couldn't really go to it but i remember looking in the bucket trying to like look closer to see if i was seeing what i was seeing And yeah, I was seeing a fetus. And every time I looked in, it would pull me in. 
So it was like almost like a gravitational pull pulling me towards the fetus. And I was like, whoa, like that's intense. And I couldn't really go there. So I didn't go there the first night. But I remember after that, having the consultation after with Taita Juanito. And he was like, yeah, so did anything happen that you wanted to speak about or talk about or whatever the case may be? And I was like, oh, yeah, there was one thing. (laughs) I purged in the bucket and I saw a fetus. And he was like, yeah, 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 that's great. I was like, why is that great? Uh, (laughs) Like, what what does that mean? He was like, oh, yeah, he said, "Uh, it means you had a cold moment at birth or you had some moment in your childhood that you have to address. And obviously, when you think of it that way, you're like, oh, yeah, probably. And you know we're all battling our childhood traumas and all that stuff as we get older and as we get adults. So we have a lot of blockages and stuff that may affect the person that we are as adults from our childhood. So when he expressed that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, if it happens again tonight, you know, just go there, see what happens. I'm like, go there? Okay, I'll go there. But I'm thinking it won't happen again, right? I'm like, it probably happened that once, but it won't show itself again. And so that next night, ceremony two, we drank. I purged in the bucket and shit, there it is again. (laughs) The fetus. (laughs) It's not letting me elude it. So I'm like, okay, all right, cool. So I actually, this is so funny because I, when you look at it from the outside looking in, (laughs) I'm looking in, I look in the bucket and I actually go in. So I connect in the bucket, right? And so from the exterior, if you're looking at me, you're like, this idiot has his head and throw up right now. Right? Yeah. That, that's what he's doing. But in in my experience, I'm uh I look in in the gravitational pull, it pulls me towards the fetus and I connect. And it's almost like a movie, so it's like it's almost like a cut too. In the next scene, I wake up and I'm laying in the crib. I'm a baby in a crib. Shit. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> looking out the crib. <laughs> I'm looking at the crib and I'm crying hardcore, like legit crying. I mean, snot running down my nose, like real crying. And I see my parents or my ancestors or spirit parents walking around the crib and nobody would pick me up. And so I was thinking to myself, obviously, like, oh, shit. I'm sitting there crying. Nobody would pick me up. So the need for someone to always pick me up or tell me I'm good or tell me I'm the best or just to be there for me was a huge thing in my life with my praise and acceptance on the football field with any kind of love relationship. And they had to be there. They had to say things. I I needed positive words of affirmation, right? Probably more than most. <laughs> so having these like visions of them, like, oh shit. And so I remember I was landing in the crib and I had that moment, like, I don't need that. I don't need anybody to do that. And I put my thumb in my mouth like a baby, as the baby. And I remember smiling and the thumb grew, it grew down my throat and kind of killed that moment. So in that moment, the realization that I didn't need anybody else to be there or to pick me up or to, to support me in that way anymore was crucial for me moving forward because I was in a relationship at the time that it was kind of that stuff. And I was kind of battling, like trying to figure out, should I still be here or not? Or blah, 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 like having these things. And then that really, really got me through that and really made me understand the things that I needed to move forward as, as a competent, spiritually balanced human being to understand that 
you can fix yourself. You can handle yourself in some of these things. You don't need someone to be there just to be there if they're not the right person to be there. It's because we get attached to these certain feelings and these certain emotions that are triggered with people who are in our worlds and we think are supposed to be there, but they're not. It's not healthy. And so to have those kind of epiphanies in one ceremony of ayahuasca where you go to a therapist and you spend all this money and you you can have certain breakthroughs with therapists. I think therapists are great, not trying to talk about them, but the accelerated version of what that looks like was ayahuasca for me, you know? Mm, yeah. Damn, man. Yeah, I, I, I know our, our parents try their hardest, but... 100%. There have to be moments to a baby where it's very traumatic, but it seems just like a regular old Thursday and the kid won't shut up. But that's that's kind of an early trauma. And I'm sure there's a lot of that stuff to unpack deep within us that yeah. we, we don't even realize. I mean, shit. I mean, I might take this brew and have to relive my circumcision or some shit. Like, No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. So obviously this was really impactful to you on an emotional and spiritual level, but I am curious about the medical side, the physical yeah. brain side of it. You had these concussions. Have you had any kind of testing or anything to see if, if that's really been corrected? I'm sure you can feel a difference, but can, yeah. can we quantify it with data in any regard? It's funny. Before I went, I used to do MRIs, brain scans, and cognitive tests all the time. Just on that level, to test with my brain, how my brain was firing off and seeing if it was working and doing all that. Like I did that a lot. Post, it's so clear to me how much more aware and not as forgetful and having the capacity to learn and the capacity to memorize and do all the things that I do as, as an actor and in the field that I'm in. I mean, it's obviously better. I have not gone back to check because obviously even with the MRI and the brain scans, you can't really see the extents of damage that was there anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to quantify anyway. But I mean, just from the feeling alone, like I, yeah, a thousand percent, thousand percent better. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because you just don't feel the need to even go get checked because you feel <laughs> so whole and healed. Exactly. Wow. Well, awesome, man. Hey, this has been really awesome, and I commend you for putting yourself out there. So much judgment comes with this sort of thing, so it's great that you're pushing through that. I got one more question for you, because my audience would not forgive me if I had a former NFL player here and didn't at least <laughs> ask this, because uh, this show casts a wide umbrella. Yes, yeah, psychedelics is in there, paranormal's in there, and we talk about conspiracy a lot, too. And I've had a lot of previous guests talk about professional sports as the modern day opiate of the masses and yeah. even a few who study professional sports and question the authenticity of the games that people see on Sunday. They are of the opinion that there's a lot of gaming the system behind the scenes for the purpose of generating the maximum amount of income. And I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position, but do you think there's any truth to that at all? Having been on the inside? Yeah. You know what? Like I wouldn't know that from even playing because obviously at the time, in my time of plan, it just wasn't as much information available. Mm -hmm. Now, if we talk about now, though, I mean, where it's such a social media driven world and everything is reported, everything is analytics. Obviously, if you look at it from a macro scale, you see all these things that are happening with legalizing gambling in certain spots and you're doing all these things that are, you know, 
it's got to be something going on behind the scenes when it comes to that stuff. But for me, as a, a player that was in it pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram and all the social media and analytics stuff, like we were just there trying to make the money. <laughs> yeah. We were there just as athletes trying to make it by and we were okay with being paid when we were paid. And like you said, having the access that we had, and I wouldn't know that. But yeah, there's always a bigger money play or something going on underneath for sure, always. Yeah, I mean, when there's billions of dollars involved, you don't usually leave it up to chance sometimes. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Right on, right on. Well, hey, fair enough. And again, appreciate your time. Thanks for taking up this cause and congrats on taking the journey, man. Take care. Greg, I appreciate it. Uh, let me. I want to know about you when you do yours. Let me know about that. <laughs> for sure, I will. I will. All right, buddy. All right, man. First, we talked with Kerry about his experiences with the medicine, and now we're talking to the film's director and producer, Farzan Tusi. So let's get into it. A provocative peek into the plant medicine with a man brave enough to chronicle the journey. Farzan, my good man, welcome to the higher side. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Yeah, I am psyched to do this. The documentary is really well done. People can get a great sense for what it's really like because the journey can be intimidating for a lot of people, even just the geographical journey can be kind of daunting. And I think the visuals help a whole lot. And I guess I would start this off by asking how this medicine even really got on your radar. That's a very good question. I heard about it through my partner at the time, and she was dealing, my wife, she was dealing with losing her father. And her friend was involved in the Rhythmia Resort in Costa Rica, and she invited her down to Costa Rica to try this medicine. And she did not know anything about it. She went down to Costa Rica, and she did a couple ceremonies with Taita Juanito, who's featured in our documentary, and it changed her life. When she came back, I saw her transformation, and I decided to get on a plane and go down to Rhythmia myself and to try ayahuasca. Hmm. I didn't do any research. I just said, you know, I can see how she's changed. Therefore, I'm going to try and go down there and see what it can do for me. And ever since that first drink, it's had a profound effect on my life. And we decided to do a documentary on the medicine. Mm, yes. And I understand you were an atheist before you had the brew. And Maybe even after the first journey, you were still trying to rationalize the spiritual aspects as just maybe tricks of brain chemistry changes or somehow not real. Talk to us about the process of dealing with those spiritual aspects and what you think about that side of things now. Well, I'm definitely a lot more woo-woo than I was three years ago. <laughs> um, I, as you mentioned, I did not believe in God. I was very black and white. and some of the things that I've experienced, some of the things that I've seen during ceremonies have really changed my thought process as there being a higher power, whatever you want to call it, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. There is something that is out there that we can't really explain. And if three years ago you would have said, hey, you know, you're going to be talking like this, I would have said you're crazy because, you know, I've experienced so much now after drinking it so many times over the last three years that there's no way of explaining some of the things that happened during a ceremony with ayahuasca. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, that is the big thing for me. I want to have more engagement with, say, the spirit world, I guess. And having drank the brew a few times, can you tell us about an impactful encounter in that regard? Maybe uh, your partner at the time, did, did they find the relief they were looking for? Well, she did. She was a lot more at ease with, you know, the concept of losing her father because she essentially communicated with him. Mm. And he said, look, I'm okay. You don't need to worry about me. I've moved on. I'm okay. And she came back really able to deal with this loss. And she was in a very bad place at the time. And it had been a while, so she wasn't really able to reconcile loss in her mind, in her heart. So this really helped her. And the other thing that happened was she actually connected with my father, who had passed on in 1991. And this is another reason why I said, look, I need to try this, because I had been really shooting from the hip from losing my father at a young age, youngish age. And hadn't really, I don't think, reconciled it. So when she's like, look, I talked to your dad and your dad's really proud of you. And and I thought to myself, wow, my dad's proud of me? I work in reality television. There's no way he can be proud of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, I got to go talk to him myself. So I literally got on a plane a week later and I went down to Costa Rica. I have yet to have that connection with my father's spirit. But it's been a pursuit. But for whatever reason, I believed her. You know, I believed that she had communicated with her father, with my father. And I think that was maybe I was at a vulnerable place in my life where I felt like there was a need for a spirituality, if you will, mm-hmm. that I was open to it for the first time. Nice. And I guess having been through it, what do you think the mechanism is there? Because it doesn't seem to be an exact science. Like you said, you want to connect with your father and you haven't been able to, but she somehow was able to. And even Carrie told us a story about connecting to someone he was with, connecting with their parent. And it wasn't like something that they were seeking out. You know, I'm sure your previous partner wasn't seeking out a conversation with your father, but sometimes this stuff just happens. And I'm curious if you have any insights or thoughts on the mechanism there, how this connection is even facilitated through the brew? Well, that's a very loaded question. I think for me, there may be some blockages that I'm working through. I think that for my wife, she was down much further along in the spiritual world than I have been. And that may have aided her in her maneuvering how to interact with this medicine. And I think this medicine is kind of the conduit to the spiritual world. I think it really involves letting go. It involves allowing yourself to be taken to a different realm. And I think that people are different places in that journey, essentially. And it's an interactive medicine. I think if you fight it, you may not get what you would desire. Mm-hmm. You know, they say that the medicine gives you what you need and not what you want. Mm. And if you talk to, for example, 
to the shaman that I do the medicine with, Taita Juanito, you know, I asked him, I go, hey, why is it that I'm having all these difficult ceremonies and these journeys? Why is it so physical? Why am I not seeing things? Why am I not getting direct messages? And and it's all way over my head, right? He's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, this is cleaning up your ancestors and all this stuff. And sometimes it goes back to the source and your previous lives. And it's just, it's all so mind boggling and way above my spiritual understanding of the world, really. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I've come to believe it, right? I've come to have faith in it, to have faith in this, essentially this conduit to the spiritual world. And I'm just learning how to navigate getting to that part where I'm actually receiving messages. And ayahuasca, from what I understand, is not, it's a female spirit. And from what they say, and it's not direct messaging, right? It's a lot of interpretation, but it's a spirit that really wants the best for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like when I talk to people who've had spirit communication, it's obviously not in English. It's not even a telepathic message that is necessarily in English, but it's more like a symbolic language or a language of emotion. Maybe you can feel the the vibe of certain emotions more than you can detect actual words would you say that's accurate that's very accurate i think it's really you feel it right it's in the heart and the question is what do you do with it right the biggest part of this is you go and you drink this thing you have an amazing experience and by amazing i'm not saying it's fun by any shape of the imagination by amazing, I mean you throw up and you get diarrhea and, <laughs> and you, you have a horrific night. But in that night comes some learning. And the question is, how do you integrate what you learn doing these ayahuasca journeys in your real life? And that's the toughest part. Mm. So it's not like you can go down to Costa Rica, Colombia, Peru, or Brazil, go for a week, and you change fundamentally. You might, but you really have to practice what you learn. And that's, I think, the toughest part of the process. Fair enough. Yes. And as you say in the film, it's pretty amazing that indigenous cultures learn to combine these plants out of the 150,000 plants in the Amazon and all the various combinations. The explanation that the shaman gives in the film is that the legend says that a staircase came out of the sky, people came down and told them about many valuable combinations of plants. And ayahuasca was just one of them. And I'm sure that, again, is a symbolic kind of thing, not a literal staircase from the sky. But is that as much as we know about the origins of this? Yeah, you know, there's no real record keeping. It's all generation after generation telling stories. And for me, what was fascinating in learning about it was, and that's why we focused a little bit on it in the documentary, is like, how did they come up with this combination of plants to get this effect? There were no labs. They couldn't be like trying different combinations or they weren't like looking for this. So I actually, in a crazy way, I do believe them when they say, look, the spirit world told us what to do with this, mm-hmm. what to do with 
are what they call plant technology. I believe them because there's no real other viable explanation as woo-woo as it sounds, you know, it's there's no other explanation. And how is it that almost all the tribes have a similar form of ayahuasca? They're all different mixtures, whether you go to Brazil, to Peru, to Ecuador, to Colombia, they all have this. And this is sort of like the, you know, as our shaman says in the documentary, it's a pillar of their communities, but yet they're slightly different, but they all have it. I don't think they were... I mean, it just seems like at that time, they weren't transferring this knowledge from one end of the Amazon basin to the other. I just feel that they were all individually maybe given this knowledge somehow. Right, right. That's something I think about, too, because, you know, you have guys like Graham Hancock in the film, and he's always looking for this lost ancient civilization. And there are some weird things about human history. There are pyramids all over the world. There are similar practices like this one and also agriculture sprouting up at kind of the same time depth, but in vastly different areas of the planet. And we think, well, how did this all happen? Because the Egyptians didn't travel to you know, Mexico and tell them to build step pyramids, but yet we have these, these same structures. And when you get familiar with ayahuasca and the way that it works, it seems more reasonable to think that instead of these people literally traveling around and teaching each other how to build a society or certain structures or these tools, maybe they all tapped into the same spiritual source or the spiritual source tapped into them. And that's why we see such similarities. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty valid. <laughs> it's wild. But I like that you get more insight from something like this, because we are so stuck in our material, physical, matter-based way of thinking that we sometimes can't interpret data like that correctly. And there's a lot more nuance when you have, I guess, some spirit or psychedelic experience. Absolutely. And I just want to say this again. If four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I would never in my wildest dream consider this as being viable and now i don't see how this history that we're being taught is really viable <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i know ayahuasca is of course the star of the show but i am curious about that aspect of this origin story where they gave the indigenous people many different plant combinations. Have you heard about any other plant combinations and their uses? I'm sure there's got to be a wide spectrum, but the other ones don't get nearly the attention that ayahuasca gets. Well, yeah, I mean, with this community that we're involved in, they say they're ethnobotanists, and they literally have a cure for anything from plants. But at the same time, this, you know, Yahe in the Colombian version of it seems to be what their community was built around. So, you know, I think that if we were to have any kind of ailment, they seem to be, you know, they'll go to some plant, pull a leaf, and you're good to go. Hmm. And it seems to me that our pharmaceutical companies have been tapping into that. Apparently, there's a ton of research going on, whether it's on ayahuasca or other plants in the Amazon, a lot of the, and we bring that up in the documentary with one of our interviewees, that a lot of the 
modern-day pharmaceuticals are based on plants found in the Amazon. Right. It's like, how can we profit from this and put it in a pill form and pretend like we built it in the lab? But if you talk to the people on the ground, like, there's a lot of looking into these indigenous cultures and extracting things from that. But they're not always, at least it seems to me, they might not always be forthright with the source of the cures that they're coming up with. It's like they want to say that it's Pfizer lab techs working diligently nine to five to come up with some of this stuff. But this indigenous knowledge is is a, a real kind of third rail that just doesn't get the attention that it should. No, and look, I think that we are essentially taught to look down on ancient cultures and civilizations and peoples, right? We read in the history how they were conquered and there were savages and whatever you want to call them. But really, the more I've dug into being around indigenous cultures, the more you realize that they really knew what was going on with humanity, with the environment, super connected, super in tune. And we've come so far away from it that I think that this is what people are yearning for, is to go back to that connection with other humans and other animals and nature. And in a way, my understanding is that all the elders in the Amazon decided that we need this, right? We being people in the north or the west need their ancient remedy to for a better planet as a whole. And from everything that I'm understanding, they decided to bring this at a lot of peril because a lot of shamans travel to Europe and states with their medicine and it's as you know it's a schedule one drug and not not legal but they're bringing it with a lot of love right they're not coming in with resentment you know and that's been really interesting for me to see how much love and how much compassion they have for us even though we're really directly or indirectly annihilating their environment right right and clearly as you said they have been burned in the past by trying to show the white man, the empire, whatever you want to say, what they can do with these uh, entheogenic brews. And the film actually starts with a pretty great quote where you say, when the earth is ravaged and the animals are dying, a new tribe of people shall come into the earth from many colors, classes, creeds, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again. They will be known as the warriors of the rainbow. And that's one of these kind of old Native American prophecies, but it seems like that's kind of what's driving this resurgence. Yeah, I think we can all agree, except for the Republican base, that the environment is really at peril right now. Hmm. And I think it's going to need to get a lot of people together to really turn that around. And when we shot the film in the Amazon basin in Putumayo, I was really astonished how little jungle was left mm. you know there are a lot of jungles being clear-cut for pasture land for cows and for farming it's amazing what's happening down there and i think in january there were there were some fires and people got on the bandwagon for two or three weeks and that got replaced by a different news cycle and i think that's something that really needs heavy focus and attention to and it's 
it, by the way, it's been going on for so long. I remember Sting in the 80s really talking about, about the Amazon. And I mean, it's really amazing how it just keeps going on. Right. The butchering of the Amazon and we're just not doing much. And sorry to get on a soapbox, but it's just really <laughs> amazing to me that it's been around for so long and it just keeps getting destroyed. Yeah. Something needs to happen. Cheers to that. And of course, this is kind of a trendy thing, this ayahuasca, and there's a lot of different shamans and retreat centers. Some people will tell you, you got to be very careful who you choose and where you choose. You know, I'm actually signed up to go down to Peru this summer. And ever since I brought that up on the air, I've gotten so many emails about, can you tell me where you're going? And I, I actually, I can't, but you know, in the documentary, it's really great that you highlight a place that people can actually go, the Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. It seems like you would endorse this particular place if people are curious and can't necessarily find the exact location they should go to. Yeah, that's where I did it for the first time. I've been there a few times. It's safe. It's clean. They've got a medical staff on the grounds. Taita Juanito goes there. Taita also has his own retreat in Colombia four times a year. So obviously we were highlighting the medicine itself and we highlight two locations. But I think that we tried to make a point that you just can't go do this with anybody, but you need to really do your homework and go to a safe place where you know you're going to be taken care of. And the good thing about Rhythmia is that it's in Costa Rica. It's easy to get to. You're not traveling to the jungle. You're not traveling by boat. So for folks who may not be that adventurous, it's the place to go, right? As an introduction to this plant medicine. It's adventure light. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's Very cool. And we talked a little bit about healing and you mentioned this cure for everything. And of course, People talk about ayahuasca in the context of a relief from depression and anxiety, maybe even addiction, and that is one thing. But curing disease and healing some forms of cancer, that's a whole nother can of worms. And even just adding ayahuasca to the whole toolkit that they have, are there certain conditions that you've heard can be healed in this way that might surprise people? Have you seen any like examples or or conditions or diseases that just really shocked you when they were healed? Yeah. I mean, I think on the psychological level, ayahuasca gets a lot of press and I think it's deserved. It's less known to cure physical ailments, but one of the times I was at Rhythmia, there was a young guy from Orange County and he could barely walk to go, you know, drink the medicine, right? The cup. He had to be helped. You know, he had like, you know, special chairs and people and they were watching out for him. And I swear by the end of the week, he was able to do it on his own. And I was literally watching that going, this is just unbelievable. Damn. And... It doesn't get a lot of press, and I don't want to make this sound like this is the miracle medicine. Essentially, it is what you want it to be or what you need it to be, because you can go there with an intention, and you're communicating and asking for help, 
and you're receiving it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, hey, man, this has been awesome. Before we go, tell the people where to get the film or anything else they might want to know about it specifically. Well, yeah, it's coming out. We just got a distribution deal and it's being released on Apple iTunes and Google Play in April of 2020 coming up, April, May-ish. And it'll be available for download and streaming and all that fun stuff. Very cool. Any upcoming projects of yours in the conspiracy, paranormal, psychedelic space you'd want to plug as well? No, I'm trying to figure out where I go from here as far as doing something good in between doing a lot of bad content for television. (laughs) Um, I'm really trying to focus on the Amazon, but not so much on anything other than maybe some activism down there against the destruction of it. But I'm looking into trying to figure out how to best approach that subject because I, like I was ranting earlier, I think that's something that just comes up for a couple of weeks and all everybody gets all hot and bothered and then they forget about it. And I think it's something that needs to really get mass attention for anything to change. Mm-hmm. Well said. <sighs> well, hey, very cool, man. Thanks for making the film. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. A lot of insights to chew on for sure. Thank you so much. You got it. Well, take care out there and keep doing what you do. Appreciate it. Thank you. And boom goes the dynamite, dear people. Big thanks to Carrie and Farzan. That was a lot of fun for me. I definitely have friends and family that will be checking out what I do for the first time after 10 years because we got a guy they finally know in Carrie Rhodes. So welcome to those people. We don't have to talk about it. <laughs> but I was so intrigued by the stuff that was said that surprised me. Obviously, I saw the film, but talking to both of these guys about things outside of that yielded some pretty interesting stuff. I've listened to a lot of podcasts about ayahuasca, so I wanted to make sure we got you a little bit deeper than the fundamentals, but I didn't want to leave anyone behind completely, so we kind of ran through the basics just so we could have the full picture. And honestly, as I said in the show, I think a lot of people, especially our audience, would have considered this kind of pilgrimage. I think the journey sounds great, but... When you talk to those who have taken it, everyone's very hush-hush about their access. And this documentary blows that wide open. It's probably the thing that pushed it over the line for me to say, yeah, we do need to do this show because people should have that last piece of the puzzle. I'm sorry that it comes at a time when you can't do much more than fantasize about it, but still. Also, clearly this one was formatted a bit differently for us. Way back in March, I felt like, hey, things are going smoothly. Let's change it up a little bit. Everything's getting a bit routine. But now, a few short months later, I kind of long for routine, right? I did wonder how I would structure this. I considered putting out the full hour with Carrie and then keeping the hour with Farzan for the Plus show. I know just doing 30 minutes and 30 minutes kind of feels like we are ending as soon as we start. 
But I do like both guests who have given me their time to be heard by the larger bulk of the audience. So I did a 30 and 30. Sometimes I really get in my head about how's the best way to structure this for the free audience. And honestly, if you've been listening to THC for a while and haven't signed up for Plus, you're missing so much of these interviews anyway. So join the club. But in this one, Carrie got deeper into talking about the more-than-human world, how he conceptualizes it, the experiences with it, also the lasting effects of the medicine, and the recontextualizing of his NFL career post-brew. Stuff I thought was really interesting. And then with Farzan, we got pretty weird. Talked about UFOs, consciousness, the wildest shamanic healing stories that he's aware of. And also why there's such an emphasis on not having marijuana in your system when Mother Ayahuasca gets a hold of you. I think the only silver lining to not getting to go on that trip for me was that I didn't have to do the whole detoxing thing. That's the only aspect I was concerned about, because radically changing your diet and quitting your overindulgent habits all at once can be challenging. Worth it, of course. But I was concerned about my level of discipline when it came to that stuff. And I'm sure the time will come. I let my deposit ride for next year, even though the road ahead mm, doesn't seem to be much smoother. We can hope, right? (laughs) But I hope you enjoyed the curveball of a show. If you're interested in this, you'd probably love the documentary. The visual component is obviously pretty useful in this case. And maybe now you actually are a few steps closer to planning your own journey. At least you have information about a retreat center that you can trust. But that's the show. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. But don't forget to live a little. I've done my part. Your move, plant medicine suppressors, resurging shamanic healers, and ayahuasca adventurers. Your fucking move. Oh no. You see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over everything. The nine to five is trying to steal ya, now don't that job seem silly? Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back? Some spike agency Wish we were younger And free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the
Time. 